Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. The show goes on. This is the official show on the Fish on First podcast channel with me, Eli Sussman, managing editor of Fish Stripes, covering your Miami Marlins every day in our own way. This is the first post-opening day episode of the official show, coming off a very busy previous series, the Marlins dropping three out of four to the New York Mets to begin their 2023 regular season. We're going to keep it positive by focusing on a bright spot, perhaps the brightest spots from that opening series, and that is New Marlins second baseman Luis Arraez, performing exactly the way that the Marlins dreamed of when they swung that big trade to get him. In advance of the Marlins versus Twins series, with Pablo Lopez and the Twins coming to town, and these two players almost certainly to face off head-to-head on Wednesday, this seems like the appropriate time to quickly circle back to the conditions of that trade and the repercussions and, of course, the positivity of Arise on the field so, so early in his Marlins career. A reminder, we have rebranded this podcast channel, Fish on First. If you're looking for fish stripes and you're frustrated and confused, you can't find fish stripes, um, this trying to clear that up. This is still all of us, all of our programming on the audio side Right here, still the same spot you were getting it before if you had already subscribed. And if you had not previously subscribed, please do so here. Leaving a rating and review, that'd be even better to make sure that as many Marlins fans as possible are aware of exactly where we are. Follow Fist Stripes on our many different platforms, including the site, of course, fiststripes.com. Also on Facebook and Twitter, YouTube, Twitch, TikTok, and Instagram. On Instagram, that's where we're giving away tickets to Tuesday's Sandy Day start against the Twins. Go over to Instagram for the instructions on how to enter to win those tickets to attend Sandy's upcoming start. For the rest of the show, though, we'll keep the focus entirely on Arise, on Pablo, on that big trade just a couple months ago that is still reverberating um, across the Marlins and all the repercussions that came with that. So we'll keep it short and sweet on this podcast episode, the rest of it right after this break. Luis Arise, his first series as a Marlin, batted cleanup on Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. He accumulated nine hits in those four games, 
one of the highest totals ever for a Marlin in their first four games with the franchise. Nine for 16 to start his Marlins career as the everyday leadoff hitter and second baseman. And I just want to take you through each of those individual hits that he got against the Mets. Now, this is a Mets team that, as has been reiterated throughout the offseason, they are spending as much money on a roster as any team has ever spent before. And that includes a star-studded pitching staff led off by Max Scherzer. On opening day, Arise versus Scherzer, and Arise had one single off of a 93-mile-per-hour fastball, and then he had a double off of another 93-mile-an-hour Scherzer fastball. Two hits against Scherzer in their first matchup. That double, his only extra base hit of the of the opening series. And eight of his nine hits came against right-handed pitchers. And as a lefty hitter himself, he has the platoon advantage. You'd expect that. He also did have a single, though, against lefty David Peterson. He started the second game of the series. on That was on a changeup. And then you go to Saturday against Tyler McGill. Um, so in hindsight, well, even at the time, we knew it was a little deflating to see that Justin Verlander, a minor shoulder issue keeping him out of his scheduled start, replaced by Tyler McGill. And Arise was licking his chops to see that change in news because he got McGill for three separate hits off of three different pitch types. The first one, a changeup, then a fastball, and then a slider. Clockwork, another hit. It's impressive to watch. I mean, listen, it's been two and a half games, but this man has been as advertised. Line to line. Shocking that he yeah. get another hit. How right? fun how fun is he to watch hitting? <laughs> man. The hit machine. That's three today. It hits really hard these days to get three hits off of the same pitcher in the same game, because usually that pitcher is not even in the game in the later innings if they've given up those hits before. But that just shows you the well-rounded approach that Arise has. He was hitting balls to left field. He was hitting balls to right field. He was hitting balls right up the middle. Um, later in that game, he picked up a fourth hit on Saturday against David Robertson, who was trying to close that out. And then to Sunday, Kodai Senga came over from Japan with pretty terrific hype. When he gets into trouble, it's usually because he puts too many runners on base and loses control of the zone. So for somebody to get two hits off of Senga in their very first meeting, no preseason matchups either during the Grapefruit League, and um, Senga didn't participate in the WBC, so they didn't interact that way at all. Coming in cold against Senga, Arise got singles off of the forkball and off of the cutter on a day where the Marlins as an entire team only had four hits. Arise had two of them in that particular matchup. He finishes off the weekend's with uh, hitting a cool, what, 563 so far this season? Is, is that what 9 for 16 is? Uh, just, you could not have dreamt of a better start to his Marlins career, except for the fact that you have dreamt that his supporting cast was a little bit better. For him to get those nine hits and also to draw a walk, that was about as impressive as any of his individual hits, was a walk that he drew against David Peterson in that Friday game. Ninth pitch of the at-bat is a great take for Arise. Nine-pitch battle between Peterson and Arise. Uh, and the final offering in that matchup, yeah, 96-mile-per-hour fastball that missed the zone a little bit low by no more than three inches. So 
the, the vision that Arise has, in addition to the obvious coordination it takes to get his bat on the ball as much as it does, um, it's breathtaking. It is such a big departure from what this Marlins team was last year. Um, and this guy is the very best of the best. We, we knew this coming into it. There's no surprises here about him being a great contact hitter. He's just the discipline. And the fact that if you look at these batted balls, there wasn't a whole lot of um, like lucky breaks for Arise here. If you look, The launch angle, that's what I want to check out here, is in the majority of the hits that he got, he elevated those balls at least 10 degrees off the bat. And those are that's the type of trajectory where it's certain to get out of the infield as long as there's any sort of quality behind that contact. It just finds that optimum um, angle to get those balls over the infielders, but also in front of the outfielders. So that lends itself, of course, to a lot of singles and not a lot of extra base hits. One reason why he only scored two runs is because he only once put himself into scoring position. When he's stuck on first, he's not somebody that has the base running acumen or the agility to frequently steal himself into a scoring position. That's going to be a storyline to follow um, with the enlarged bases, with the pitch clock, with the limitations on disengagements that pitchers can make from the mound during the course of a plate appearance. How many of these guys with middling speed are going to become uh, actual aggressive base runners? The very, very, very early indications are that Arise is uh, going to continue being who he has been, which is somebody that steals, attempts to steal no more than a handful of times during the course of the season. To this point, like I'm just extremely impressed. This is coming from somebody I'll get to in a moment who was not a fan of this trade for what the Marlins, a four-player trade with the Marlins giving up three of those players to get this player in a rise, who last year was primarily a first baseman. That's pretty much the, aside from designated hitter, first base is generally the easiest position to fill efficiently via other trades or via free agency or by converting one of your own internal solutions from a more difficult defensive position to there. You generally do not want to be going this far out of your way to trade for a first baseman. But that brings me to the defense. The early impressions of Luis Arise's defense are nothing but positive. Um, the the reflexes that he shows, um, the quality of his throws at this point in terms of both accuracy and arm strength are at an, a more than adequate level. That's kind of what you were looking for with Arise. Um, it was weird to make this decision to dislodge Jazz Chisholm Jr. from second base. If you're going to do so, you better have one of these many other second basemen playing it at at least an adequate level. And, and to this point, it's it's hard to point to any like mistakes that Arise has made through those four games. And he has played uh, every moment of those first four games against the Mets. So we've had a decent sample, um, at least what 15 or 20 defensive chances that he's had with the Marlins over the course of those games. At least 20. And to this point, um, yeah, he's, he's doing his part on that end as well. Bounce to the right side, Arise makes the play, and for the first time in 2023, it's a Marlins win! The first for Skip Schumacher, and kind of fitting, Tommy. It's a one-run win for the Marlins. A one-run, <laughs> we saw great defense, we saw the long ball, and congratulations to Skip 
on that first win as a major league manager. One strikeout for Arise during that opening series. Strangely enough, it was against Brooks Rayleigh, the reli- the reliever who threw a 91 mile per hour fastball that was got a whole lot of the plate right down the middle, a little bit higher than the middle of the zone. Not the type of pitch you'd expect him to swing and miss at. Being clear, even though he's one of the hottest hitters in the league at this particular moment, it doesn't necessarily mean that he's going to reach a new level of performance. What I'm seeing right now is why is the version of him that he was in 2022 when he was an all-star. As you know, he was a batting title winner. He was a American League silver slugger. Overall, almost 30% better than a league average offensive player. Um, when you adjust for his league and his his ballpark conditions. And I think that's what the Marlins got, is somebody that they felt everything he was doing last year was repeatable in this new era, um, above, uh, on top of everything else, with the infield shifting going away, they felt that he would continue to make as much contact as anybody and find a whole lot of holes to exploit in defensive alignments. So far, so great. He is as advertised for this team, and uh, I'm, I'm I'm excited to just watch him as everyday second baseman. What I've noticed, and in, in just from seeing some other commentary from Marlins fans, is that they enjoy watching this guy. Um, ideally, you want to be winning these games. If nothing else, if you know that this team, if you acknowledge that this team has some limitations, that their expectations for 2023 are certainly not as high as the Mets, as long, along with several other teams, there's not quite this urgency to win it all right now or, or consider things a failure. The stakes are not quite as high for this Marlins team as other teams. It's okay to enjoy the stylistic parts and the things that aren't um, all about wins and losses and this is a player that you'd expect to contribute to winning over the course of the season. It's it's nice that um, stylistically, aesthetically, that's the word I'm looking for, aesthetically, um, it's very satisfying to have Luis Arise on your favorite team. I'm going to have one more segment for you after the break as we spin this forward as the Marlins and the Twins prepare to face off in the back half of this homestand. So with Pablo coming to town, it has me thinking about the state of the Marlins rotation and contemplating whether this trade really was worth it and and what are going to be the barometers of success for this trade long-term from a Marlins perspective. Stay with us. It is somewhat of an anticlimactic return to Lone Depot Park for Pablo Lopez because he already made his return just a few weeks ago during the World Baseball Classic pitching for Venezuela I was in the ballpark for that first start that he made against Puerto Rico. Very strong effort. Uh, a lot of people in the crowd that um, that were local to South Florida, and it wouldn't be surprising if there were plenty of Marlins fans there uh, seeing him in that setting um, as a non-Marlin for the first time. After, obviously, the previous five seasons, when healthy, he was a part of their rotation. This is a player, I, I wasn't necessarily hyper-focused on it during the WBC. When spring training started, that is when I began to perk up a little bit. I was wondering where it is that Pablo is going to go from here. Like, is there another level for him to reach entering his age 27 season, other than his durability, other than his conditioning? 
And what has immediately shown up is the addition of this sweeper. This He is a player, if you were to poke holes in Pablo's pitching style through his major league career to this point, it was the absence of a reliable breaking ball. He came up with a curveball. He, uh, at times, he really almost abandoned it in certain starts. And it was very rarely a noticeable part of his pitch mix during the course of his outings. His changeup, his signature changeup, uh, in every single start I can remember, that was his primary off-speed pitch that he would use. And finally, um, he seems to have found something with this sweeper, with this, well, it's essentially a slider that gets a ton of horizontal movement. And just this year, it's now officially being categorized as an entirely separate pitch type than your other breaking balls. And for somebody that has never quite, you know, been able to execute the breaking ball the way that he wanted to, he has found this one as something that can actually get him swings and misses, unlike any of the other previous iterations of the pitch. One and two. Two down with two on here in the fourth. Perfect example of why big league pitchers are so hard to hit. This one starts almost in the same spot, but ends up two or three inches further off. And Reyes chased it. He was impressive enough in spring training that the Twins made him the opening day starter for their team. I'm not sure if that's what I would have expected at the time of the trade. They noticed that he made, that this was looking pretty good for him, that this was going to make him a more complete pitcher. The very early returns from his opening day start, awfully encouraging. He went five and a third scoreless innings with eight strikeouts. With the caveat that he was facing the Royals, one of the few teams that I think everybody would agree is even uh, more impotent offensively than the Marlins are, that's about as favorable a matchup as you could get, and he took advantage of it. This upcoming start on Wednesday, it's going to be a Wednesday afternoon game. Um, really awkward timing in that you know you'd expect that's probably going to be the smallest crowd of this Marlins homestand just due to where we are in the calendar and the start time at, I believe it's 1.10 p.m., it was hard enough for us at Fish Drives to make sure that we had somebody available to cover at the ballpark at that particular time. Um, I, if you're able to make it out there for one of the night games tonight or on Tuesday, then that's even, you'll probably get a chance to see Pablo behind the scenes and say hi or during warm-ups or something. Um, I'm sure he'd appreciate that if you showed up in that setting pregame to greet him. Uh, I think he'd understand that it's going to be a relatively small turnout on Wednesday. I'm still extremely excited to see how that matchup goes and to see how the matchup between Pablo and Arise specifically is going to go. Assuming that Arise is batting at the top of the lineup, they are practically assured to have three head-to-head matchups, maybe a fourth one. If they have a fourth one, that would indicate that Pablo is pitching very well and very deep into the game. Those are going to be absolutely fascinating to watch for somebody in in Pablo that with this expanded offering to his pitch mix, uh, I think he feels more confident than ever in being able to get swings and misses. And on the other side, you have a rise who, who is who so seldom swings and misses at anything, especially from a right-handed pitcher. Can't wait for that one. Um, a series overall that is, I mean, you have to say that all these have some level of importance now that we're in the regular season for Marlins team that almost every year, like sinks a few games below 500 off the bat, 
it, it certainly is an important opportunity for them to to win a series and to get themselves within striking distance of you know being a competitive team. Like for in so many of these cases, it's just hard for I wouldn't say casual fans. I would just say typical fans. It's hard for typical fans to feign any enthusiasm for this and make any sort of emotional or financial investment in the team if it's evident early on that they're not going to be a contender. So even though it is so early in the year, and certainly this is a matchup against a team that is not directly competing with them for a postseason berth, um, there is a heightened level of importance on this when you uh, start the season the way you do, which was losing three or four against the Mets. So just a final word again on the this trade, which myself and I'd say a lot of our Fish Stripe staff was not a fan of this deal. Um, aside from losing Pablo and the way that he conducted himself on the field, off the field, with everybody, um, and how valuable he was to that clubhouse, um, that itself is a bit of a bummer. But then there's the reality that any starting rotation at any particular time, you need at least five starting pitchers. And over the course of the season, you need perhaps twice as many as that, even if uh, some of these very promising young arms that the Marlins have turn out to be as good or better than Pablo is, there is still a, a loss of quality that impacts the team. Um, to say that their rotation is just as good without him as they were with him is nonsense. Just because there's always going to be a, a bottom of that rotation. And even if you don't see Pablo as somebody that's an opening day starter type, He's, he's somebody that is certainly more trustworthy and more um, just better, flatly better than a lot of these other depth options that the Marlins are inevitably going to have to turn to over the course of a full-length season. If this was a team that was laser-focused on winning right now, um, then this this trade didn't really accomplish much. And to be fair, I think I think just about everybody recognized that it's not all about 2023, that it is important to have a medium-term view as well and see somewhat of a multi-year window in which something can pop um, when all the stars align and with, when all the luck goes in the team's favor. They, they weren't only making this trade for the right here and now. Um, it was valuable to see that Arise had the additional year of club control the thing that really stuck with me is why the Marlins felt the necessity to include infielder Jose Salas and also young outfielder Byron Churio in that deal. When you add it all together, it, it seemed to me that they gave up just more value than they needed to that is going to come back to bite them. Because at this moment, it's still not a complete team, and it's uh, doubtful to be a contending team this year. They're going to have to make additional moves to get themselves to where they want to be. So either that comes with spending more of Bruce Sherman's money, or it comes with trading some additional talent that they have in the organization to to address the major league level. By making the deal that the way that they did, uh, they have less minor league depth with which to use in potential trades. So the path forward is very murky, in my opinion, as as well as things are going with Arise. I'd say that there still is some anxiety about exactly where the team goes from here, unless 
Um, they have some improbable breakouts, and unless Arise really is reaching a new level of offensive expertise, even beyond what he showed in uh, in Minnesota. I think I think the next question is exactly how long he spends in a Marlins uniform. Still three years of club control for, for for a player that's only about to turn 26 years old. Never too early to think about a contract extension that would actually keep him here throughout his entire prime. That's going to be a conversation for another episode. We'll wrap it up right here. I've been Eli Sussman with the official show. We still have a whole lot going on here on Fish Stripes on our website, fishstripes.com, and here on the Fish on First podcast channel. Check out the live streams before every single series, Fish Stripes Live, simulcasting on YouTube, Twitch, and Twitter. And speaking of Twitter, your support to us there is greatly appreciated. Become a super subscriber for just $2.99 a month, and we give you a whole lot of perks to take your Marlins fan experience to another level and to really integrate you into the coverage that we do uh, on Fish Stripes. So consider subscribing there by going to our Twitter profile page and clicking through to um, complete that transaction. We'd appreciate that. Thanks for tuning in. A more official show coming to you later this week here on Fish on First. I've been Eli Sussman. Go fish. <laughs>